If you have your Bibles or your bulletins, you can turn them there to the scripture of Luke chapter 9. And I just kind of want to say the reason that I'm standing here today is definitely because of the Lord. Just the timing of my wife knowing the Hamans and saying, you should go check this church out. And uh, even more so, the, the fact that I'm up here as a chaplain is totally of God's grace. Um, he grabbed a hold of me in 2003 when I was living for myself. I was in college and I had big, big plans for my career in the military. And uh, he said, actually, I want you to be a chaplain. And uh, I remember back then the, the Baptist Student Union uh, bugging me to go to their Bible study. And I would show up to the Bible study and I would cheat off of the notes of the guy next to me. And I remember the the leader saying, like, well, you know, in this group, we try, to, we try to do our own study of the Bible. And so it kind of spurred me on to get to know the gospel more and more. And, um, you know, here I am today after, you know, having been through seminary. So it's a, it's a blessing to be here and to stand before uh, the Presbyterian flock. You guys are usually more theological, deeper in, in, the, in the knowledge of the word. So uh, grab me afterwards if I say anything that's heretical. And I know Chuck will, um, but it, it'll be all right. So... In my unit down here on the border, we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, uh, not just because that's my name. I've actually hesitated to do Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke because that's my name, but it's been good, and, and we've gotten a little bit past uh, this section in, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, and um, you know, just gleaning from that, getting after the heart of God has been uh, just a, a joy and a, and a privilege, and just to see his mercy and grace through uh, the teachings of Jesus. And I want to pick, off, pick up where I left off in this narrative of Christ telling his disciples in Galilee to take up their cross and follow him. And then we'll, we'll unpack this. But let me pray. Father, uh, I just ask that you would uh, be here. You are holy and you are loving and good. And, and bless now this message and these meditations of my heart to be pure and beneficial to this church. Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts with zeal and wisdom for this, your, your word and the gospel. Father, let this, let this be a reminder that we have we have been Gentiles who are now regenerate. We, we came out of sin, and, and uh, let us be reminded that we were the second hearers of the gospel to the Israelites, that we were the second class and unworthy, the B team. Uh, but now, Lord, in your, in your mighty and sovereign grace, you've chosen that, uh, that, that we could understand this gospel and, and that we've been able to share in it, uh, even though our ancestors were unworthy. And, and now, now that you're with us and, and help us, and our families to, um, to just continue to, to bring about this word in the community and in our, in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. So who is this narrative uh, that Jesus gave this message to? And uh, you know, we, we, see, we see this right after when he fed the 5,000 um, there in Galilee, and, and uh, the disciples uh, were gathering with him after that, and he asked them, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And we know that Peter's response Filled with the Holy Spirit, he gave the correct response, proclaiming that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ of God, the Messiah, the Savior of, of God's people, and that uh, he was promised by the prophets who would, who, whose Christ's reign would never end, and that uh, he, being the Savior of God's people, um, he, he wanted them to understand more fully that no longer did they, did they have to continue in their daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, or annual sacrifice offerings uh, for their sins, but that he would be the ultimate sacrifice offering, um, giving them God's infinite holiness. So these, this is all nothing new to, to you Presbyterians, but just giving us the context here in uh, Luke chapter 9. Uh, so I share this to say that Jesus was telling uh, a narrative 
to a spiritually hungry group of people, right? So literally, they, they were hungry before he fed the 5,000 in that scene. But just kind of think about who was, in, who was in that group of people. So it was men. It was women. It was boys. It was girls. It was workmen. It was homemakers. Maybe it was some burnout pastors or deacons, not saying that you are. Um, maybe it was some parents, some aunts and uncles, some grandparents, some married folks, some single folks, widows, widowers, spiritual widows, spiritual widowers. So we can see that this is a group of people that are just like us. And not only that, thinking about El Paso, these people were, um, you know, uh, economically or physically oppressed. Thinking about the migrants or thinking about those families that recently suffered the loss. So they could relate to um, what we can relate to and we can relate to them with economic and physical difficulties. Racial tensions, they would have also had that. Think about the Samaritans that were right next to Galilee. The Samaritans had their own area that they worshipped apart from Israel. And uh, so they too had this idea of pain and injustice uh, being subjugated to the Roman Empire, right? This early church was persecuted for their belief in Christ. And uh, at this point, um, we know that Christ had not died and resurrected but this is kind of a foreshadowing of, of what would come to tell them to carry their cross and follow him. So Jesus was giving himself as this answer to their heart longings. So they came to see a man who was working miracles, but there was a deeper desire in their desire to go and see a man working miracles. They knew that there was something kingdom-focused and eternal that was in their midst, and they wanted to get a taste of it. And hopefully they got more than they asked for in, in receiving this teaching from Jesus. And we have, we have it here recorded for us in, the, in our gospel. So, but we all follow something, right? They were following him to the water's edge to get a meal. But think about what do we follow to feed us? You know, there's heart longings that we have. And we're prone to follow things. Chuck mentioned today in, in, the, in the Bible study, you know, maybe it's gossip, right? We want to get the latest thing. And maybe it makes us angry, he, he, he talked about. But maybe the news or sports or media, we follow these things. We follow technology, the latest devices. I'm guilty of it. I have the iPhone 10 in my pocket, right? And, um, you know, politics, we're, we're coming up on the election season. We follow that. We, we, we hope for change in our society through these man-made things that they ultimately let us down. And these, these things like that or crime reports, um, we're longing for something. We're longing for uh, uh, eternal hope ultimately. And whether we know the gospel or not, uh, there's, there's that desire there for, for truth, as Chuck talked about also in Sunday school this morning. I guess I'm plugging that for you. You should attend. It's very rich. But um, as we continue to unpack this, this text, I saw three main movements in our, in, our, in our verses. Before I do that, let me read uh, Luke 9 and verses 23 and following. Look at it with me in your bulletin or in your copy of God's Word. He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed. 
when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is God's word for the people of God. So there's three movements that I see from these verses, and it's not always three, but just for the sake of pedagogy. Uh, Verses 23 and 24 is a movement about what does it mean to follow Christ? And how how can you do that? And he kind of talks about that, carrying your cross. Um, And then the second one is verses 25 to 26, that we have this fallen tendency, right? In in my, uh, he mentioned Covenant Seminary, so I'll plug. In the homiletics model, they, they teach you to unpack and do the hermeneutical analysis. And they always say, where is the fallen condition um, of either the audience or of yourself um, that you can grow from this? And so, you know, where is, where is our tendency? Uh, and I would say the tendency of fallenness is that we seek gains and we worry about loss. Now, we're afraid of loss. And then even going to the spiritual side, we're afraid of the effects of following Jesus. What does that do to our reputation? What does it do to maybe the things that we don't want to give up? And uh, the third movement, there in verse 27, the kingdom has come in the lifetime of those who are hearing and seeing Jesus teaching this. And it would come more fully after the fact when he comes again. So we have the resurrection and the ascension that happens in their lifetime. And then we have the power of the Holy Spirit coming and enabling them to share the gospel uh, after Christ resurrected. So they were hiding, and then they became bold. So I want to look at these three movements, and I probably won't do it as effectively as that little outline there. So if you feel hungry afterwards, go home and study this text as well, uh, but I'll do my best in the time I have. So in the first part there, let me go ahead and read just 23 and 24 again as we talk about what it means to follow Christ and how we can do it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself... And take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save himself will lose it. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake will save it. So we have this language of following and then sacrifice. What does that mean to follow and sacrifice? And to to unpack that, um, Jesus taught this phrase, follow me, more than any other phrase in the Gospels. Uh, The best cross-reference for that is actually in John chapter 12. And it's so rich that I actually want to read that text as well. So I, I apologize to add on to the, the text, uh, uh, the main text, but this is just so rich. Let me read it for us. Uh, chapter 12 in, in the Gospel of John. Now among those who went up to worship were some Greeks. So that's kind of how I was meant to, mentioning earlier. We come out of this lineage of Gentiles. These Greeks were coming to, to learn about the Gospel. They came to Philip. Uh, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went up and told Andrew, one of the other disciples, and and then they both went to Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has truly come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. There it is, that language. And where I am, um, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So just a a beautiful uh, 
you know, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? You can sometimes go to another text to help you better understand another text of Scripture. So this denial of self language that we see, the original hearers would have known this denial of self, especially when the, the term cross was used. Um, the closest thing that we can relate to is maybe death penalty. And uh, so it, it was not just uh, this idea of dying. One commentator talks about it as, um, I think it's t- yeah, Tim Keller, when talking about Matthew 4, and he called the disciples from fishing, he said, come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men of men. Fishermen of men. He says that that's the idea of soul catching, the idea of, of grabbing out of uh, eternal damnation and bringing to Christ. So we have this, uh, this call to be soul savers. Uh, we can make a little Christian cartoon. I think that'd be great for the kids. Um, my son likes the Bible, uh, Bible man, I think. <laughs> it's a Pentecostal, uh, but, but yeah, it's scripturally sound. Um, <laughs> okay, so we talked about the cross, um, renouncing this, this idea of, of following Christ and, and renouncing, renouncing selfish ambitions. Sproul, I love, I love how he says it, and I think that's why a lot of you use his study Bible here. He says it very well. Renounce, renouncing selfish ambitions. Um, uh, renouncing all rights to control. I think Chuck's talking about that in, in Bible study this morning. You know, we, we have this control idol, right? To carry our cross, mm, can I just, uh, you know, can I follow in the shadow of the guy that's carrying the cross? You know, he's doing a great job. Can I just, can I, you know, encourage him? Um, we want to control our own destiny, but he's saying it's really a death to a whole way of life. Um, so there's this challenge that, wow, my entire way of life? I, got, I thought maybe I could just, you know, give a little bit more, or maybe I could just, you know, uh, do a couple little extra deeds on the side. But he's saying, no, everything has to change. Flip it upside down. Um, that doesn't mean quit your job or stop, you know, in your vocation. You know, don't stop taking care of your kids or being married. But it's that mindset that he's talking about can change. And then the Reformed view of this, the Reformed view of carrying a cross, so that upside-down view, oftentimes um, it's kind of hard being Reformed in the midst of other Protestant denominations because they just say, well, it's on you. You're... You're the one that, that saves yourself. And then you have to kind of say, well, the tension is there of our human responsibility mixed with God's sovereignty. So how do you say I'm carrying the cross, but I'm not earning my salvation while I carry the cross? So we have it difficult being, being in the Reformed view. Uh, so I'm sorry, I'm adding that burden, but it's Christ's burden to carry if you're, if you're believing in the, the lights of Calvin and, and uh, the Reformers. So in Christ who is with us leading our lives, he makes this burden light for us. So even though there's the tension, the burden is light. We all know Matthew 11, that we're doing this, this work for Christ outside of our own strength, but it's his strength. So that's the means that we have uh, to follow Christ, and that's the how that we can follow Christ. Next, we'll look at um, the tendency in our lives to, um, to seek gains or worry about losses and then to be afraid of the effects of following Christ. And that's verses 25 and 26. So what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in glory and the glory of the holy angels. So you kind of hear that cosmic language 
I think that's a spur to say, oh, so you want to be ashamed? Well, how about you be ashamed when I bring my entire legion of angels and they're all worshiping me and you're worried about, what if I'm seen with this legion of God and this, this mighty Lord? So I think it's trying to get us aware of the cosmic. No, you're not going to be ashamed when you see that, that horde of, of angels worshiping God and all the knees on earth will bow. So let's bow the knee now and carry the cross now while we have the opportunity. Um, so the commentary I borrowed from Chuck, I will get it back to you. I forgot it today. Um, I guess maybe I should do a follow-up sermon, maybe. Um, wow. Uh, Hendrick says on this, he kind of he paraphrases it, but it's Christ's words. Uh, if anyone wishes to be counted as my adherent, he's, he's paraphrasing Christ's words, he must once and for all say farewell to self. I think that's a... Um, I think that's a contemporary song, So Long Self. Yeah. Decisively accept pain, shame, and persecution for my sake. Day in and day out. I like that. That's the, the physical fitness language. The day in, day out, and he must keep on following me as my disciple. So it's not just, um, it's not just that verbal, amen, yeah, I believe that. I, I said, I said the, the prayer of confession, and then you encourage the other guys that are sold out. Um, or you stand in their shadows, but it's, it's really day in, day out, making those decisions to carry our cross and to follow uh, Christ as our Lord, as a disciple. What does a disciple do? They follow in the footsteps of the teacher or the coach. What does a player on a team do? They follow the coach who is an expert in that field. Um, what does a student do? They follow the professor who is an expert in that academic field. What, we got a commander over here. What does a soldier do? He follows his commander's orders in the, in the profession of arms. Um, and so as, as Christian soldiers, if you will, as a chaplain, i got to throw in my military uh, analogies, we, we carry our cross because it's our duty as Christians. Um, I know some people don't like the theology behind that onward Christian soldiers hymn. It's a little too church and state mixed. But it really is a, a spiritual motto there, even if, even if you don't sing the song, at least... Read the lyrics of Onward Christian Soldier, uh, that we have this, this calling to carry the burden. And um, I want to continue back on to this, this idea of this tendency that we have to seek gains and to be afraid of loss. So we're trying to keep our souls, we're trying to keep our lives. Think about the, the man that built the bigger barns, right? He's like, what do I want to do? I'm just, I have all this excess grain. I'm going to build a bigger barn and have an easy life. You know, he's trying to He's trying to, to get the life of ease, right? And, and I have a 401k. I have a retirement plan. You know, I encourage my soldiers to do that. But, you know, we really shouldn't listen to that full hook, line, and sinker, you know, uh, message that they sell us uh, about, oh, I just, you know, you, you can have that million-dollar retirement. You know, you, if, you, if you, you know, manage your, what is that, your, my brother's in finance, I'm not. He was the valedictorian and the Ivy League graduate and the Eagle Scout. I shouldn't even be up here, but it's... <laughs> Thanks to the Lord. Um, who's, in, who's in finance? What's that phrase? Your, your, gain, your equity, your gains, and your losses. Um, so we should be stewards, right? We shouldn't just flippantly and, you know, invest in things that the leaky cisterns spiritually. But so you get the analogy that he's getting at here. If you're holding on to your life so much that you're never willing to take any amount of risk, like what if I, if I you know, share the gospel with this person over here that I see their life's kind of in shambles? You know, what do you have to lose? Their life's already in shambles. There's those situations where they can only get better by hearing the, the hope of the gospel that we have. 
and someone who looks like they've got it all together right next door, they've got all the right things. Maybe they've got that face on, but behind closed doors, they're, they're just, you know, dying in, on the inside. Um, I, I think it was, I wasn't planning on making this reference, but Madonna who said, the more that I gain in my professional career, the emptier I feel. So even the world around us, you know, those that are as success, successful as possible, maybe we even envy them, like, oh, they just keep getting more Emmys and Grammys, but they're empty on the inside without Christ. So um, whoever would lose his, psych, uh, lose his life for Christ's sake, uh, they admit Christ, um, and they follow him out of discipline. So this John 12, it says that unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it remains but a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So this idea that if I die, then my life can be multiplied to more lives in following Jesus, it almost kind of sounds counterintuitive, but we have to listen to this, this charge from Christ. Maybe Calvin can interpret it for us. He says, the unregenerate man has no hope in death. He seeks to save his life. It just sounds sad and empty, right? To, there's no hope in death for someone who is lost. And, and what Calvin is, is encouraging there is, um, so if we have that hope, why are we ashamed of loss or that fear of, oh, if I share the gospel, you know, they might, they might think that I'm one of those wacko Christians. That's, I remember my mother... Um, in my first year of college, saying, like, you can be, you know, involved in this Bible study and go on these mission trips, but don't be a radical. Like, tone that down a little bit. And, and we were talking about today in, in Sunday school, you know, how, how do we deal with that tension of, you know, do you put it all on the line and get fired in your job if you're, you know, overly, you know, vocal about things that, you know, we could, we could use as, as uh, models or examples for Scripture. But uh, Chuck mentioned, you know, we have to ask for God's for his wisdom. So I don't want to encourage you to do something radical like, don't go get on, you know, Fox News and, and get in arguments over uh, truth. But in some ways, maybe you should get over in an argument over lunch with, like, your coworker. What do you have to lose, you know, except for just maybe they get up from your table. Um, so they're, they're, the Lord will, will put on our heart when is the right application uh, for this. Um, verse 24, it illustrates for us a consistent application of, um, you know, and, and just catching this is, is so encouraging. Verse 24, the application is whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So if it's for Christ's sake, right? You think about this, this language of, have you ever heard it's used in kind of like maybe not the nicest, like almost like a curse? For Christ's sake, just, you know, da 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 So think about it in the, in the spiritual sense. For Christ's sake, just do something. For Christ's sake, just love that neighbor. For Christ's sake, find that person that's hurting and encourage them or for Christ's sake, study the scriptures so that you can get in that argument and, and, and do it with grace and with truth. Um, and so uh, the different order there. So for Christ's sake, maybe over lunch or on your way home today, practice, practice using that uh, saying in a good way. Um, so what do we have to lose in evangelizing or doing that simple service for our neighbor or for the church? Right? We have that great opportunity on the 13th coming up to just show up and drop off your old shoes or whatever it is that, you know, maybe you steal some things out of your wife's closet or you grab some of your husband's old hunting gear that he hasn't used in a few years. Um, uh, so everything that, what do we have to lose? We have everything to gain. That's the big takeaway. So I think another way of saying that, uh, for Christ's sake, do something is if you cower, you'll die but if you act, you will truly live. 
So that's another way to say what, uh, what this text is, is saying for us. And kind of as I, as I come to a close here, um, the final movement is, is uh, verse 27, and we'll look at that. I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. I used to be kind of afraid of this text, like, well, that's second coming stuff, and I'm not very good at Revelation, so um, I'm just going to leave that alone. The Lord kind of put a burden on my heart to at least kind of address it a little bit. Like we mentioned before, the audience that heard this message, heard Christ say it, they saw him die, and they saw him resurrect, and they saw the power. Think about Peter. They saw him hiding in prayer, and then going out after being filled with the Holy Spirit to preach to thousands boldly, maybe at the risk of his life, you know, because they were, they were saying if you openly said that you were believing in this Christian group, you'd be put out of the synagogue. You know, there is risk. Uh, but nonetheless, 3,000 were baptized, uh, them and their families. So there is just beautiful um, outpouring of God's Spirit in this kingdom of God exposure to that particular audience back then. So um, I want you all to join me in this. Uh, So if you would close your eyes and imagine that you are hearing the message in this audience uh, that Christ was was preaching to you. And for Christ's sake, um, you you were being one of the early Christians that you saw him rise from the dead. You heard his resurrected voice. You were walking on the road to Emmaus or you were in the in the room with the disciples, or maybe you were one of the women at the tomb, and, you, and you, you saw his wounds. Maybe you were like Thomas, and you touched the scars. And now eyes continue to be closed. Fast forward, you're in the group of disciples, like I just mentioned, where you saw and felt the Holy Spirit filling your heart. You felt yourself being more bold and confident because you had seen the Apostle Peter preach. So after he preached and they were baptized, who discipled them? It would have been you. It would have been your family. It would have been your um, home church congregation. Back then they didn't have CTKs uh, on the church corner. But nonetheless, and then finally, continue to keep your eyes closed, we fast forward to the long-awaited hope of Christ's second coming. It may, it may not happen in your lifetime back then in the first century, but the Apostle John, he promised Christ's return in the, in the gospel that he wrote, the book of Revelation. And I imagine that his, his revelation was circulated to the early church and they were encouraged in their suffering to know that Christ would in fact return, that heaven would be on earth, the holy city would be on earth. And Christ himself would return in glory to judge the living and the dead like the Apostles' Creed tells us. And so if you would just open your eyes again, I just kind of charge you that, um, that we can unashamedly carry our cross and, uh, and that, that God would just bless you in this endeavor, um, each and every one of you, whatever state in life you're at, whether you're a, um, a homemaker or an office professional or a military man or uh, a retiree, Uh, a church leader. God won't let you down. He won't disappoint you. Amen. Father, just uh, just bless the rest of this service, Lord. Uh, Bless the the following uh, Lord's table and and the the hymns and songs that will be sung. And uh, just bless this congregation now in this fall season as as we, we begin to see the turn 
the turn of the leaves or the changing of the season, that it, it would not change the season of our hearts, that we would continue to be ripe for uh, the call that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.